Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Stromsky, where every week I host a new guest with unique professions, personal adversity, or even maybe a strong opinion or two. And if you haven't hit the five stars review on Apple Podcasts, please hit it now before you forget. Running a podcast is a surprising amount of work, and more reviews converts into a wider range of future guests. This week, I talked to the surrogate expert, Alicia King. Alicia talks about her experience with being a surrogate and what she's doing to help connect future surrogate families. We go through the emotional and financial aspects that come with becoming a surrogate. Enjoy. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of this as a whole. Like, I'm not trying to say the surrogate biz, but the surrogate, what would you say as a, like a, a strong noun for it? The surrogacy... Maybe like what inspired me to be a, a surrogate. Like there's, I, I'd say surrogacy community. That's what I, I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the States, you could definitely call it um, business. Is it, is it different? It, is it different between Canada and United States? We can start that off because I don't yeah. know that. Uh, very. Um, a lot is similar. A lot is different. So I often see controversy on surrogacy online and the thing I really like to start off with saying is uh surrogacy is not equal everywhere mm-hmm. so some people are outraged because they think it's poor vulnerable women getting exploited and in some countries that is absolutely the case and it is awful mm-hmm. uh, it's not the case everywhere so in mm-hmm. North America both the states and Canada both surrogates and intended parents have a lot of rights mm-hmm. we have laws to protect us and, you know, there is actually quite a bit in place to prevent women from doing this out of financial desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can get into that later. But the main differences are uh, finance and then healthcare. Okay. And, and so- I mean, the big thing is obviously Canada, I mean, Canada is much like you've got you got your stuff together. I mean, free healthcare. I even mentioned that when I was talking to Joel a couple yeah. weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's a really big one. And uh, there are some differences as well, though. So in the States, surrogates are compensated. And from what I can tell right now, um, the average compensation for a first time surrogate is about forty five to fifty thousand dollars. It went up by quite a bit in the last few years. Um, and then there's also additional fees that they have on top of that. And you said and, and that's like fifty five, you said on the top end. Uh, oh no no no! The top end goes much higher. This is oh okay. I'm sorry. Time surrogate. I mean, speaking from a financial point of view, that is I I I know that there's a lot that goes into it, especially the medical part, the health, the diet, everything. But I mean, that's a pretty good salary. Seeing because do you go? I guess it's not just nine months; it's ten months because everyone says nine months, but it's technically ten. And then you've got the pre-period, I would imagine, is a big thing, too. <laughs> yes, and there is a lot leading up to So that. you could say it is a full year. Oh, I, it's it's more. It's, it, the, it's a full year at the very minimum. But I was going to say best case. Best case. Is. Yeah. Okay. And so I'll talk about the timeline when I share a bit of about okay. my Because Because uh, I was thinking, I was like, man, nine months. And then I forgot because I have had two kids. Everyone says nine months, but it's technically, I, I don't know why the nine months has stuck around because it's technically 10, right? Yeah. 
well, technically, the first two weeks of pregnancy is before conception, the way yeah. it's calculated. And so I don't know how that math balances yeah. out. <laughs> um, so sorry, let's start with the first question, the big question. Yeah. What motivates you to become a surrogate? So people often ask me this, and I feel like my answer is just so generic. Uh, I, I really genuinely like to help people. And mm -hmm. so I have thought about surrogacy since uh, shortly after my son was born. And there's a few reasons. I am young, I am healthy, I have a very healthy uterus, and I'm done having kids of my own. How many kids do you have, by the way? I only have the one. Okay. And so I got pregnant when I was 16 with my son. And I had considered maybe having another, but by the time I finished schooling and was in a place, uh, the age gap was so big. And I'm very content with my one and done. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really like the idea of being able to help someone in this way. Um, it's hard to find a surrogate. And I didn't know much about it before. I just, you know, I, I knew people in my life that had struggled with fertility issues. And it kind of sparked the idea of why oh, I would really consider doing this for them if it came to that point, uh, which it didn't. Mm -hmm. But I I finally got to, uh, you know, a point in my life where I, I could add that to my plate. And it was during the pretty early pandemic. Someone on social media that I know had shared a post of intended parents. They created this post and asked friends and family to share it, searching for a surrogate. And I saw this and I turned to my husband, who I'd never spoken a word to about surrogacy. And I said, this just came up this is something i've thought about for years and i kind of want to message them and i believe his answer was there's a pandemic what else are we going to do <laughs> and so he was really supportive we talked about it um quite a bit and so this couple ended up having a, a friend of theirs volunteer and so naturally they went with her but they had kind of talked me through the process and shared some resources with me and i felt like i was I was invested. The more I learned about it, the more I, I wanted to help, uh, especially seeing the very disproportionate ratio of intended parents to surrogates. Mm -hmm. There's not an actual number. I've seen a lot of estimations that say um, about 40 or 50 intended parents for every surrogate that's mm -hmm. available, which seems very likely. Um, and so I, I decided to search and I was on a, a Facebook group for surrogacy in Canada. And I found these strangers that were super nice. We hit it off and they asked me to carry their baby. That's awesome. So I guess walk us through what does the process start off, I guess, from day one? Let's say yeah. you, you've met you've met the couple. Where does it go from there? So. There's a little bit more to that. I'll just actually share uh, what it looks like in general for everyone. Um, so the steps would be uh, first step, decide if you will use an agency or if you're going to be independent, mm -hmm. uh, which means you don't have the agency's guidance. Um, step two would be to find a surrogate or intended parents where your views align. So mm -hmm. the important things like what type of relationship you want, uh, your views on termination, uh, things like that. You find someone, great. The next step is um, 
medical and psychological clearance. And, and it, so that that's one of the big things I would feel like, because that was one of the big questions I thought was just like, and we can touch on this later, but it's just like, once you've given birth, you've got all these, I know, hormones, and you can go either which way. I've seen it from my wife from a happy point of view or a sad point of view, but there's a legal agreement that says this it, this isn't your baby, but your body could be telling you this was inside you. It's your baby. Yeah. And we can talk about that later. I just, oh, I just wanted I to definitely put, will. I know, I know that's like probably one of the biggest things, but yes, it is. Keep going. Um, right. And so uh, a medical and psychological evaluation. So um, this is, you'd go to the clinic and you get, you know, ultrasound, um, they get all up in there and check out the ovaries, uterus, uh, make sure everything looks good. Um, they'll do, uh, you know, STI screenings and just make sure that everything looks fine on that end. Um, if you have a partner, they will also have to do some testing as well. Um, and then all parties have to do a psychological evaluation. Okay. Um, so mine was the most important one as the surrogate, but they also interviewed my partner um, to make sure that he was okay with it and understood, you know, the involvement uh, and the intended parents as well. Uh, and the goal of that is one, to make sure you're mentally sound, but also to make sure that you have a good understanding of what you are agreeing to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so once that, uh, once you get the green light for that, you move on to legal contracts. Quick question so, on the, uh, yep. on the medical, is there anything that rules you out on a non-reproductive stage? Like, obviously they, yes. the, the gyno checks you out, but I'm, uh, what I'm thinking like diabetes, mm -hmm. uh, like MS, obviously I, nobody with cancer is, well, I don't know if that's me me being biased, but I would imagine no one would uh, have a surrogate who is currently has cancer. But is there any like like diseases that rule people out that are non? Definitely. Uh, and I, I can't really say like specifically which uh, I I don't think you can be with diabetes. Um, maybe if it's managed by diet, I really can't say. Okay, No but problem. I was just curious. Yeah, you really have. So the the physical evaluation is to make sure that like your body is healthy and that if I it's not only to make sure that I won't put the baby at risk due to medical issues, but uh, even more importantly, to make sure that I don't put myself at risk. Yeah. Um, so the, the clinics do have uh, laws and protocols to follow. Okay. And so you would be very liable if they approved a surrogate who has a, you know, a history of the hemorrhaging at birth or preeclampsia oh, or, yeah. oh, yeah. or, or like big medical issues that they know would be aggravated by a pregnancy. So um, it's quite thorough. Sometimes they'll look through uh, like your old medical records. Um, and so there's some different processes depending on your clinic. Okay. But so once that's done and, you know, the psych said like, yeah, she's good. She knows what she's doing. Uh, the doctor says all looks good. Medically we're clear. We move on to legal contracts. And so uh, I have a 60 something page contract that outlines everything I can, cannot do, uh, and all of the big what ifs. And um, the way what, that. What are the good, what are the good ones of the contract? Like, you know how everybody looks through the contracts and they, they go through the boring stuff like you don't care about, but what are the juicy parts of it? 
there's like no seafood claws (laughs) so misconception is that people seem to be under the impression that the parents can dictate what i can and can't eat and under food it essentially says i agree to not you know drink alcohol um and follow my my doctor's guidelines um for the medical parts it the it's primarily essentially saying that like yes i agree that i will listen to my care provider and their advice of what they think is best that i do during this pregnancy um so the parents can't tell me i can't eat deli meat or i can't eat this or that and in some cases some parents might have you know uh some intended mothers are pursuing surrogacy after their own infertility trauma and trying for years and years Mm -hmm. They might have heightened anxiety and they might really want their surrogate to not eat deli meat, um, which is a bit outdated, but some people still, you know, there's a risk of food poisoning. It's hysteria or something like that. Yeah, there's, there's a couple and like they're rare, but if you do get them, they are a lot more dangerous to the fetus Mm -hmm. than if you're just, you know, a regular adult. Um, And so, but the surrogate would have to agree during Mm -hmm. contracts. So that's kind of where there's some negotiation taking place. Uh, Some juicy stuff. I don't know if I would call it juicy, but heavy was reading through it. There's a clause um, that outlined what would happen if I were on life support, but I were pregnant. And so in the moment, I'm like, well, yeah. But then when really thinking about it, there's so many layers to that. Like, well, what if I'm four weeks pregnant? Are they going to keep me on life support for nine months? At what point would they remove the baby? Um, How hard will this be on my family? And okay, it says my family's eligible for counseling that would be paid for. Um, But what about my extended family and like my friends who would struggle with this? And so like there's a lot of layers um, and there's about 60 pages of layers. Like it it sounds crazy, but I mean, you're bringing... And I'm going to put it as simple as possible. You're bringing a brand new life out. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to you. It's going to a different party. Mm-hmm. So 60 pages actually, in my opinion, seems very small just because you've got so yeah. many different things that could happen. Like when you consider the gravity of it. For yeah. sure. And when I had when I had both of my kids, it's and it's, it's kind of like what you're saying, like they give you the birth certificate and they have you go through all these details. And it's just like was the baby born alive like is the baby mm-hmm. alive now and and you like go through all these things and you're like this could have gone so much worse mm-hmm. and you're just so thankful and that's yeah i can imagine it's 60 pages because a lot of stuff can happen and yeah and it, you really have to be prepared for all of the what ifs in this situation where so many parties are involved um you know and especially like this in a case where i would not be able to voice my opinion um and so for legal contracts uh a lot of people have questions about legal and i I think it's kind of cool how it works is i have my own lawyer the intended parents have their own lawyer and i will specify lawyers that specialize in surrogacy and fertility um it's almost all that they do. They they know their stuff. And so, so I had my own lawyer that I got to consult with when I had questions. She got to tell me what's the norm or make suggestions. Um, and my intended parents and I, this was their second journey. 
So they already knew what to expect. And we talked every day. And so we had already agreed on almost everything Mm -hmm. ahead of time. So there wasn't much back and forth. There were a few things like, um, you know, there's a a clause that says how much money I get for maternity clothing. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was working um, for a nature program that's exclusively outdoors in Ontario. And so, you know, I'm like, well, if I am nine months pregnant in winter, I need to somehow find maternity snow pants, which is a half my budget already. If my feet swell, I need brand new boots that are good for minus 60. Um, I need like a new coat. I need uh, like merino wool maternity wear. Uh, you know, so like that was something very specific to my situation where I was like, I actually need this um, to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um, no, know, that makes that makes sense. Like, I don't I don't even think about my outfit to the end of the week, but that that is that is something you wouldn't think about. That's awesome that you would. Yeah, that's great. And I, oh, I didn't I, even know it gets that cold there. Uh Oh, yeah, we get uh, a lot colder than you because you're in Toronto, right? No, I'm I'm actually in in the States. I'm in Virginia. Oh. That's oh, why yes. I was talking about the healthcare. My bad. I must have seen that you interviewed someone from the Toronto area. Then I got that stuck in my head. Yes, I think we I get did to recently. Minus 40. Yeah, like, and I, I worked outdoors where I didn't have the option to go inside. And does everyone have goose down uh, coats? Is that like a standard there? Uh, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, majority. <laughs> um, and so. Yeah. And so that way I have my own counsel who is unbiased. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we, uh, we got a little off track or we, we kind of fell down the rabbit hole, but so once legal contracts are done, mm-hmm. um, we need a contract to present to the clinic before we can move forward with medication. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, I can start medication. And so on my, my next cycle, um, I called the clinic, went down for an appointment. I started my medication and protocols vary. Uh, in Canada, it tends to be two to three weeks between medication to transfer or embryo transfer. Mm-hmm. And uh, some protocols are longer. I've noticed in the States, more will have a long protocol that's up to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so then the next step is embryo transfer. And so they just place it right in the uterus. And it's kind of, I saw a funny video. I was almost worried um, when you go for the transfer, you need a very full bladder. Mm -hmm. And I felt so nervous. I was like, when I go pee, what if it falls? (laughs) Um, And uh, even knowing it's not connected, of course, but it still was a thought and um, so it's basically if you have a peanut butter sandwich and you put a sesame seed in there, that's it, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's did somebody explain you what the peanut butter? Because that that is perfect uh, yeah. metaphor for that. Yes. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Um, okay. yeah, so that's kind of the steps from uh, considering surrogacy all the way to transfer. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's quite common that an embryo transfer is not successful. Mm-hmm. And so then you repeat a couple steps until it works. Okay. And what, I guess, what is that sometimes based off of? Because 
I, I would imagine from a guess that the quicker that the embryo is kind of placed, I know that everything can be frozen and stored, but I would imagine the fresher the embryos, the higher chance of success. No, nope. no, okay. no, you think, uh, no, they're, they're really good at, with, um, their time for how soon it can be thawed. And so what happens with the embryos is, um, the majority of the time it's an issue with the embryo itself. Okay. Um, sometimes it can be that the med protocol that the doctor gave just doesn't work for someone's body and they mm -hmm. switch it up and it works. Uh, the science also isn't perfect. Okay. Uh, you know, like we've all seen the friends episode where they shoved three embryos in Phoebe. Yeah. Um, it, the science has gotten better. They mm -hmm. don't do multiple embryo transfers very often. Is that the one where they put it in the microwave too? Or am I thinking of something completely different? I can't remember what they put in the microwave. <laughs> okay, never mind. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up though, because I think at some point they stopped allowing couples. I mean, what 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 was that uh, reality show? Uh, John and Kate plus eight. Yeah. Where basically they they allow obviously they allowed that to happen. That didn't happen naturally. Well, I no, not... so what happened with her, if I remember correctly, uh, she was taking a medication that stimulates the ovaries and can produce more eggs in one mm -hmm. cycle. Okay. Um, yeah. So chemically induced. Okay. It, yes. And I think that's something that's monitored a lot more heavily now. Yeah. In the States, it's quite common for um, two embryos to be transferred. It's becoming less common. Okay. Uh, the majority of surrogates who have carried twins will swear they'll never do it again. It's really hard on the surrogate's body. And mm -hmm. also, the, very often, the twins end up being born prematurely. They have health complications. They're in the NICU for several weeks. So some people view it as unethical. In mm -hmm. Canada, uh, I actually thought it was illegal until our doctor suggested it for us after a few attempts. Um, this so is... in Canada, the majority will not allow more than one embryo to be transferred to the exception of very specific circumstances. Okay. I have a stupid question. So say you were to do that, you're not going to get paid double, correct? Uh, well, <laughs> in the States, um, so there's base compensation, mm -hmm. right? Which we talked about what's like the 45 to 50 yeah. average. Um, there's also fees. Mm -hmm. And so a surrogate in the States would have a med start fee. So every time she starts medication, uh, $500 is a very common one. Okay. She gets uh, a fee. Um, embryo transfer fee, uh, $1,000 is common. So every time she does a transfer, she gets that. Mm -hmm. Invasive procedure, uh, $500. And so for twins, in contracts, they will negotiate an extra amount. So if there's a live birth, it's the base compensation. Mm -hmm. If there is a twin um it's an extra you know eight to ten thousand dollars really hmm. yeah and so the way that it works in the states it's not income it's considered um a gift uh compensation oh. for pain and suffering okay hmm. yeah. but i mean obviously people it's know or i guess it's it's not a fact until the baby is born but they do know prior to that that there are two babies in the womb 
Yes, they'll know uh, as of six weeks when they yeah. go for the. So then they can and in the start as well. Yeah, and like if a surrogate loses the baby, if the baby's not, you know, a, a stillborn, mm-hmm. um, the surrogate still gets paid because mm-hmm. she's being paid for the pain and suffering, and otherwise it would be baby selling, um, which yeah. is kind of why it's it's uh, it's done that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, but in Canada, whether I. I'm giving birth to one baby or two, I'm still not making money. So I guess, what was the process like for you? I guess, I guess your first time around. Overall, uh, I would say it's tricky to say it was a good experience. Um, so I did not end up giving birth to a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was matched for two and a half years with a couple. And in that time, we did five embryo transfer cycles. One was canceled. We did four embryo transfers. I had a chemical pregnancy, which is uh, what we call a very early miscarriage. And I also had a later term pregnancy, or I don't know, later term, at 12 weeks, I had a very complicated miscarriage. And so at our 12 week ultrasound, we found out that the baby had died over a month before. Um, and so it was very, it was really difficult for me to access care. Um, the fertility clinic would not help me. I was the last appointment on a Friday. And for some reason, they did not upload my, um, the, the report to, we have a, a provincial patient portal. Uh, and so no doctor could access my ultrasound. And no doctor is going to do anything without confirming for themselves. I ended up having to go, uh, I got referred to the abortion clinic by the male nurse who did not understand what a missed miscarriage was. I had another male triage nurse tell me I wasn't having a miscarriage because there was no bleeding. Um, And I ended up having to go to a hospital out of town because no one else would see me in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I had, uh, we had a lot of complications and we were preparing to do our next transfer this summer when we found out that due to a lot of factors with the embryos, it was recommended not to transfer them at all because the chances were so low for success. And I say that's, I think that's amazing that you're still powering through just, just after the, after that event. Cause that's like an event. That's so that like a, that's first, a changer. It was. Uh, so that was my first transfer. Okay. And I was really prepared for it, you know, to fail because I knew it took a lot of tries and and it worked on the first try. And my intended parents, their previous surrogate, um, they already had a child from surrogacy, but she had two miscarriages before a live birth. Mm-hmm. Prepared for that, and it it was successful. We held our breaths for the first ultrasound, and we saw a heartbeat, and everything looked great. And, um, and I, I had never heard of a missed miscarriage. I didn't know what that was. I thought baby stops growing, body expels it. And so it had been so long that I was told I was really in a risk zone in terms of getting an infection. Mm-hmm. And I, I had symptoms the whole time. My body did not realize. And maybe part of that was taking the hormones every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had never, I didn't consider 
uh, a miscarriage as much as I should have. Um, you know, I kind of went into this thinking like, no, I'm really healthy. I have great fertility. I've never had a miscarriage. So I don't really need to worry about it, mm-hmm. which is a little absurd because every surrogate is a surrogate because they don't have fertility issues and they have yeah. a, a clean record. But it is very common. And it's because it's almost always an embryo issue and we have no control over it. And so I struggled to access care. I had to go to the emergency room three different times. Uh, after a few days, I finally got medication. Took that, uh, which essentially like induces labor. And I go back for an ultrasound. It wasn't successful. Um, I had to do another two rounds of medication. And then a month later, I had an ultrasound and I got called saying I needed emergency surgery because it still had not worked. And now it had been 11 weeks between the time baby stopped growing and where I was. And so I really struggled during that time period. Um, The intended parents were with me at the ultrasound when we got the news. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I feel, I I felt awful that they had driven all the way down to my city to get that news. But I think we were very good supports to each other. They checked in on me. Um, My husband came straight from work. He picked up some beers and we all drank together (laughs) to, uh, you know. How how far away were they? Uh, So they lived two hours away. Okay. Yeah. So close in terms of like how far, you know, people can live. But it's still, I'm sure that was a very long, difficult drive for them afterwards. Yeah. And so I actually, uh, I've become quite vocal uh, speaking about loss. Um, so I had already announced that I was doing surrogacy. I had gotten the heartbeat confirmation, the pregnancy looked good. Um, and I, the medication especially made me look really bloated and some, and I was very sick. I got very bad morning sickness and I could tell some people were getting suspicious. And with my husband being fairly open about the fact that he's had a vasectomy I did not want people asking questions <laughs> so I, I decided to announce it um and and then I I lost the pregnancy and so I was kind of stuck with this do I have a hundred small conversations or do I just announce it and so I publicly I shared what happened and I kind of shared quite a bit about my experience um, and my outrage for our healthcare system. Um, as much as I do love Canadian healthcare, there's so, we have so far to go. <laughs> um, and I had so many women reach out and like women I, I know personally, friends uh, that I, I never knew this. And they told me they had also had similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And it was so helpful. And so I'm very vocal about it. Um, and I also host a surrogate support call every week mm-hmm. it's free any canadian surrogate can join and so i always make sure to you know encourage people to talk about the loss because it's such um there's a lot of guilt there's a lot of pressure um i had this guilt that i couldn't i shouldn't be mourning it because it wasn't my baby i had this guilt that i lost someone else's baby um and i'm causing them grief and i had a lot of feelings I didn't know how to place mm-hmm. and so it was very difficult on me um and I I did have quite a break between that and our next transfer 
Um, yeah. So. No, that, that sounds, and do you feel like that's really just talking about it opened up your feelings to, I guess, new things that you didn't realize? A lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, quite a bit. And I was really lucky that the doctors I did end up seeing were, they were wonderful, uh, you know, and it was COVID. And so, you know, you weren't allowed to support person or anyone else. And I was really struggling with this pretty intense miscarriage. And I had, I had a fear of um, anesthesia. So mm -hmm. I had this fear of surgery that was stressing me. Mm -hmm. And I just completely cut off my hormones that mm -hmm. I was taking all at once. So I had that crash. And I had been to several emergency rooms and essentially told they wouldn't help me. So I was, I would say hysterical is a good word. By the, uh, by the time I entered the hospital where I finally got help, it was a small hospital and I sat down and I was uh, like, I was sobbing. Like, you know, like just when you're almost like hiccuping. Yeah. I just sat down and I sobbed waiting for them to call me. Um, and they, they could see I was really upset and they called me right away. I got my own private room and a doctor came in and asked for my husband's phone number so they could tell him he's allowed to come inside, which was very helpful. So I felt better just knowing that, okay, these people understand that, you know, even though yeah. my body doesn't recognize it's a miscarriage, it's a very emotional thing. Um, but in general, I, I got to learn a, a lot about uh, struggles that others have had with accessing care and um, a lot of issues around how reproductive health is treated. I had, mm. I had quite a few female nurses who were really nice and had been through similar things mm -hmm. and, and no offense to you because I know not all men are the same, but I, every man um, that I spoke to or is trying to get help from essentially told me it's not an issue, not to worry about it go away. Yeah. Um, now you know, there's a lot of misogyny in the healthcare system and stuff that we, you know, we, no, most of us. And I, I knew, but I never experienced it at that level. And at mm -hmm. a time so vulnerable, you know, I had been told that I, I was at a high risk of getting septic shock, which I, I don't think I was, but it was a real risk. And mm -hmm. so you know, I, I now offer, I, you know, on, on my Facebook or Instagram, I regularly share reminders, just saying like, if you have had, like, you have a miscarriage, if you're experiencing a loss, you can reach out to me. I can talk you through like, you know, where to find resources. I can just listen. Um, and I, I have had quite a few people reach out to me when I do that. So. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. So what, what made that couple the couple you wanted to start with? I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, I really felt a connection to them. Okay. Going into surrogacy, I thought I wanted a couple that lived in my city that didn't have a kid yet, and and I I met them and I it was very easy to talk to them. They were very honest and transparent and genuine, and they were nice. I trusted them. That's great. And, and, and I, how many meetings did you guys have before? Like, was it two or three or anything like yeah. that? One. Okay. We, we had essentially already decided we were moving forward with it. Okay. Uh, but you know, it was 
COVID and we lived in different cities. So we yeah, okay. I, I totally get that. I yeah. mean, you're two hours away. You're it's during COVID. So yeah, even so one, even down, one seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah. So they, they drove down and, um, we met once and then immediately, you know, we gave a big hug and just, no, that's great. That's a, that's awesome. That's like yeah. one of those warm feelings. You can't see it, but you can just imagine like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like one of those stories where there's no no bad guy, there's no bad, you know what I mean? Like it's just a, a feel-good story. So can you elaborate, I guess, on some of the emotional aspects of being a circuit? Yeah. So um there's a lot of emotions that go into it. Some that I don't think we necessarily think of until we're there, like the pressure that we feel mm-hmm. of knowing that these parents are investing so much money and time and and their limited embryos into us there's kind of this pressure of making sure it, it works and we do everything we can to help um and then the ones that i think people outside of the community uh really think are the big ones it's just really don't factor in that much um so the most common question that i get is how can you give away a baby after you've carried it uh like won't you miss it you're going to bond and I, I I did think about it a little bit before and I spoke to a lot of surrogates and they're like no it's not a thing don't like uh so surrogacy nowadays almost all the time is uh the surrogate does not have a biological relation to the baby we don't share DNA it's not my egg is not related to me. There are some traditional surrogates who do use their own eggs. It is very rare to find what, now. What's, uh, yeah, I was reading the that. Traditional what's... surrogate is mm-hmm. what you call it when the surrogate uses her own eggs. Okay. And and that's not usually a thing anymore, correct? There definitely are some. There's such a small percentage. But it's the... like, yeah, I think yeah. that's what I saw. But like you said, in different countries, it's a little bit different story. So North America, yeah. I'll say. Um, and so I'm, I'm what we call a gestational carrier. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I saw the technical term for it. Exactly. Um, I prefer the term surrogate, so it's what I go by, but, um, so I have no relation to the baby. I know that before getting pregnant, I know that during the pregnancy. So as I, I mentioned, I, I got pregnant at 16 with my son. And so I naturally had some people kind of try and push the idea of adoption mm-hmm. I was so young and so I, I really I, I did I never really considered adoption with my own pregnancy I, I knew I was going to keep it um but I did of course think about it because people mentioned it and was on my mind and uh, there was no way I would be able to do it mm-hmm. but this is not my baby with surrogacy and so the best way that I can describe it is I have a job where I work with children and I end up getting pretty close to a few of them some of the kids I've worked with for years I know their families outside of work um and I I've gone to some pretty far lengths to help the kids uh like some I I would say I've been quite a mentor Mm -hmm. and so I've helped them at work I've helped them outside of work and I love them. I feel very protective when they're in my care. But at the end of the day, they have parents who love them and a loving home. And there is no part of me that wants to keep them. 
Yeah. And so that's kind of how I how I felt about the baby, you know, and I, I was pregnant. Uh, I know I, I didn't give birth, but I I was pregnant with someone else's baby and I felt very protective of the pregnancy. Uh, it, even more so, I almost felt like more nervous. Mm. I really had to be careful. And um, th- there was no maternal feelings involved. Mm-hmm. No, that's so people struggle to understand that. And I, I, it's fair. I can understand that people can't wrap their minds around it. Um, that's how I view it. And the other surrogates, it's, I haven't come across any surrogate who struggled to give baby back to its parents yeah. when it was not, uh, their egg. Yeah. I, and the other thing is like you, the way you explain it, it kind of makes me like solely get onto your side because like if, if obviously I am so far from being able to give a personal opinion on that, but if I thought for nine months or 10 months, however long I'm carrying that, like this inside, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a huge favor, a huge thing for someone else. This is nothing mine biologically. I'm just, it's like people who are obviously this, you're giving life, but like people who donate lungs and all that stuff. It's, I I think it's similar, obviously on a much smaller scale, but it's not like you, you have a huge attachment to like that kidney or that lung because I mean, it is your lung, but, <laughs> but it, it's not like a, another human being. It's not exactly. your egg. It's not your genetics. It's not, you're just doing a very um, amazing act for people yeah, and- who can't do it themselves. And I know that going in, and in my case, I had, I really knew the parents, right? Um, I mean, part of it was uh, I matched with them because we had a good connection. But the other part was I could see what great parents they were. Mm-hmm. I saw them and I'm whatever kid, you know, you end up with, like, they're going to have a great home. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that emotional aspect really isn't as big as people expect and then in terms of other emotions um I would say you know the other big ones as I've already touched on were uh, experiencing loss and even when an embryo transfer fails and there's no pregnancy it's still really difficult mm-hmm. not as difficult but it's still something that a lot of people struggle with so. yeah um before I forget, and you might not know this, what is like a, a ballpark estimate on what um, I guess the, the the parents would shell out? Because obviously they're paying for the embryos as well and all the stuff to prepare the embryos. And obviously, I guess the freezing. I don't know what the cool term is. It is it the, the cryo? And then they have to pay for, like you said, the 55 average, the hospital fee. And I assume they cover are they are you covered on oh this is canada so I, I can see <laughs> you what you're asking i can answer for both sides okay so actually on my instagram i have a surrogacy instagram account and i actually just made a post uh explaining why the cost varies so much mm-hmm. and so it can cost as little as thirty thousand dollars to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in canada uh in the states it can be astronomically more <laughs> um and you know in canada like while i'm not profiting i'm still i shouldn't be out of pocket mm-hmm. for things and so yeah. i'm getting reimbursed for all surrogacy related expenses so um 
in Canada, depending where you live, depending why you need IVF, there are some uh, provincially funded cycles. But those are pretty tricky. They have long waits and it's fairly new. Um, mm. But, you know, uh, I think on average, IVF costs twenty to $30,000. Okay. I haven't into that part very much. I haven't had to. Um, I know that for every embryo transfer cycle that I did, I believe my intended parents paid $2,500 to the clinic. Okay. Which doesn't sound like much. However, for each embryo transfer, that required three to four, uh, no, three to five in-person appointments at the clinic in a different city. So they're also paying for my train ticket to travel. Uh, they're paying for, you know, my, my Metro pass, um, they're really sweet and they would always take me out for breakfast after, uh, they're paying for my lost wages. If I have to miss work for a couple of days, um, you know, and at first I kind of thought some of the expenses seemed a bit silly where I'm like, well, like, you know, if I miss one day of work, I can probably make it up. Um, but in my case, I ended up having to travel out of town over 20 times um and so the expenses really do add up mm -hmm. um you know just to give an example and like that one thing cost can vary so much whereas if the fertility clinic were in my city and i could just schedule it around my work yeah you know um transportation so, isn't really a cost then no and so there's like so many other factors like let's say uh so intended parents are responsible for paying for a surrogate's lost wages uh for any uh work she misses for appointments as well as six to eight weeks of recovery after birth mm -hmm. so if your surrogate is a stay-at-home mom with you know kids who are in school and don't need childcare, you've you've got no yeah no I, I didn't even think about that yeah if you have a, a surrogate with a high paying job, that can add up very quickly. Does that usually happen? Like what exactly well, you said? Yeah, so it um, it, it can happen. And I have seen surrogates with high paying jobs. Because I could see that both ways. One, obviously, let's say Amazon uh, CFO. She makes $400,000 a year. I don't know. That's probably much slower than they would make. But you would want, oh, never mind. I don't I'm think Amazon CFOs are generous people. <laughs> well, the other thing is I'm thinking, I'm I'm stupidly thinking that they want their genetics, but we're, that's not even in the equation. So I'm completely <laughs> wrong. Well, so um, there are people with higher paying jobs who, who still do this. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in Canada, there are there's loopholes some surrogates really do want to make money mm -hmm. it's quite a gray area for what can be reimbursed and some really push those limits okay but if they're really in it for the money alone it's not worth it because it's i had to take needles every day um you know like the losses yeah. you go through, the morning sickness um it it doesn't come close to what surrogates get compensated for in the US. And I know yeah. a lot of American surrogates and and they still care deeply about the parents and the babies. There are some who really do view it as a transaction. Mm -hmm. They want to get paid. They have a job to do. They don't care to get to know the parents. But I would say the majority care very much. Mm -hmm. 
And so, yeah, so expenses can vary a lot. So in Canada, while all of my medical expenses uh, related to the pregnancy are covered by the province, mm-hmm. fertility clinics are, are private. It's not provincially funded unless you qualify for certain programs. Um, and medication is out of pocket. Okay. But, you know, anytime, like if I have to spend three months in hospital on bed rest, but we don't have to pay for that out of pocket. Um, in the States is not the case. And so what happens in the States is to my understanding is you guys have your own private insurance plans that you pay for. The majority of those specifically have a clause that say this excludes surrogacy pregnancy. So anything surrogacy related, they're saying, nope. And so the intended parents will buy a second insurance plan for the surrogate that specifically covers surrogacy. I, I don't know what the numbers are. I have seen six to $700 a month. I That that sounds right based off of what I pay. That's that, like, that's like yeah, a completely, that's like what a single person would pay for themselves. So yeah, I would imagine on top of what you're paying for your normal healthcare, $600 for your surrogate makes sense you guys mm-hmm. um but and so they're paying yeah so they're buying an extra insurance plan that specifically covers surrogacy and that is what the surrogate will use for all pregnancy related mm-hmm. medical things now if you're an international parent so let's say you decide to get a surrogate in canada your surrogates medical expenses all covered under the province your baby however is not so you'll have to buy an insurance plan for your baby but i don't think it comes close to what the states is still yeah you just took that 60 page document and made it 120 pages probably by having a surrogate in a different country Mm -hmm. and you've got citizenship the baby was born in canada so is it technically a canadian citizen is that a i don't actually know i know in the states it is okay but I think there might be more to it. Like they have to stay in the States for a certain period. For a certain, yeah. Yeah. I have no idea for Canada. I'm going to look it up. After. But I, but that's just me thinking of one off random. It's got to be like a bunch of different stuff. I wouldn't even think about the healthcare because obviously it's not your child. So it shouldn't fall under your healthcare. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom, I guess, for people considering surrogates? Research. Um, I think the most important thing that you can do is to take the time to research, connect with other intended parents. Uh, there's a big surrogacy community on Instagram, reach out to them and get experiences. There's a lot of resources out there. And so I would say, uh, Facebook is a really great place. There's a few Canadian Facebook surrogacy groups. It's actually where I found my intended parents, mm-hmm. uh, be a great place for independent people to match. It's also a wealth of knowledge. You use the search button, uh, the search feature, and you can find so much great information. If you are going with an agency, vet them so well. Okay. Oh, we can talk about it. I was just going to say that I would imagine agencies have their benefits and their negatives, obviously. Um, so I guess move, looking forward, how, how do you see the future of uh, surrogacy progressing so my obviously I, I haven't always been in the community I've been involved in surrogacy for almost three years now 
But my understanding is that uh, independent surrogacy is becoming a lot more popular. Mm -hmm. So doing it without an agency. And I think social media is a really big part of that. And I think we're going to continue to see more independent surrogates uh, and matches, especially in Canada. I, I think in the States, it gets a little bit more complicated and an agency might be able to help with guidance on things like, you know, insurance, medical and financial. It's a bit more simple in Canada. And I think that because of social media, it's easier for intended parents and surrogates to find resources, to find information and to find each other. Mm -hmm. Majority of intended parents use an agency to find a surrogate. And there are some good agencies that are genuine and have, you know, everyone's best interests at heart. But there are a lot of agencies that are practicing very unethical. Uh, More monetarily driven. Mm, <laughs> yes. Um, and so some are a little bit more transparent about some things than others. I spoke to uh, intended fathers who told me they had interviewed an agency who said that they had about 63 intended parents for every surrogate available. Nice. Uh, and so your odds of matching are not very good. And I'm surprised that they were upfront and honest about that number. And I think that's great. Mm. Um, so the big issue in Canada is that agencies are unregulated. And there are a lot of agencies popping up. And so these are people who some might have experience and, you know, know how to run a business. But if I wanted to open an agency and I don't know how to run a business, I could make myself a logo on Canva and slap it on Facebook and say, give me $15,000 because I know a surrogate. And so Yikes. we're starting to see some issues with agencies. And what I really hope for the future is that they will become regulated because right now they're not accountable. There's no one checking in. There's no higher up supervising them. So they really can get away with a lot. And, and again, some agencies I'm sure are great. And, you know, of course it, it makes sense that I'm hearing more about the ones where there are big issues, but there are some big issues um, mm. with agencies, particularly right now. Um, and, and is there not a, I, you would have obviously mentioned it. There's no governmental, but there's no large um, I wouldn't say uh, a private agency, but more like a regulation, like a, I guess it's not governmental. So there's no, no, that's the issue. And it's that, I, and I is that, it, do you know if do. they have that for the United yeah. States? Do they? I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't think so. I, I would just imagine that you could, I don't know. You're right. People my age or in your age would a mat would be able to i i would hope they would be able to figure out how big a company is and because obviously people go on facebook who are mm -hmm. much older and they can easily be duped by news and stuff like that but if you do a little bit of google searching you actually look where the address is and it's not a p.o box or like a industrial park or a uh but here's a counter uh, sure, you can have a big agency with a lot of staff. I'll bet they have a very big wait list. Yeah. And there's still a That's a good counter. Targets. I mean, so they're just as bad, I guess. 
So to anyone considering an agency, surrogate or intended parent, I would really make sure to speak with surrogates and intended parents who both have, you know, some have been on the wait list for two years. Talk to them. Find out what's been done. And some have completed journeys. Talk to them. How did they help from start to finish? Some agencies have predatory tactics and they really want to make people think that you need them to do a surrogacy journey. And I do think that there can be a benefit. Let's say you're international uh, intended parents and there's a language barrier. You know, you're on different schedules. Maybe there's extra complications in terms of sending money for reimbursements or shipping your embryos over to Canada. I could see the benefit Mm. to a proper agency helping with that. However, if, you know, if you're local, if you speak the same language, if you have good communication skills and you can be organized, you can totally do indie. Um, Yeah. And so, and I think people have this mentality that it's harder to match independently. But if you're with an agency, you're the only surrogates available to match with you are the ones with that agency. Whereas, you know, if you match independently, even if you find a surrogate you really like and she's with an agency, you can go join them later on. But I, you know, we, we did our journey independently and there really wasn't any area where I felt like I was lacking support. And especially now, like I run, um, so I, I run a weekly support group for surrogates and uh, the majority of them are independent surrogates. And they just wanted a place where they could chat and connect with others. And it's great. People share their, you know, their wins, their fails, and everyone kind of gets what's going on with everyone. So it's been really nice. We've been doing that for a few months now. Great. Uh, I bet yeah. it's a, a, a good way to get answers too. I mean, besides sharing emotions and talking through stuff, I mean, oh, you need a a contact for this like you could use this person like I I feel like that that's the best way is to form groups on similar interests just so you're not searching around in the dark sometimes you have 30 other people saying hey I've gone through this myself I know what you're talking about you're not alone yeah when especially when we're struggling with something with surrogacy a lot of people on the outside um, you know, some of the comments are like, well, you've signed up for this. Like, well, you knew what you were getting into. Well, yeah. you can just stop. You know, like they, they don't quite get it. They're like, yeah. well, if this is hard, just don't do it. I don't think yeah. a lot of people would ever be able to get it. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah, that's the hard that's part. Totally fair. Um, but you need to find people who do get it because it really is, yeah, yeah touching on all aspects of your life. <laughs> Is there any misconceptions that were myths about surrogacy you'd like to clarify or? There are so many, <laughs> um, but I'll stick with the basics. I Surrogacy is so taboo. So the only times we hear about it is either when something goes terribly wrong, in which the majority of the time it's because they didn't take the proper steps. They didn't get a legal contract. They didn't use lawyers. They probably did a turkey based her method at home. and that's not what surrogacy is or should be the majority of surrogacy journeys are they end on really good terms people keep in touch it's really nice and you know i didn't give my intended parents a baby but we're we're friends we talk almost every day mom and i are planning a 
weekend trip together at some point. I keep postponing because I'm always busy. <laughs> Another misconception, and because we always see it in the news, is we picture the rich elite who are, you know, looking for a poor, vulnerable woman um, to carry their baby because they don't want to deal with pregnancy. Um, 99% of intended parents are regular people. They're people who have already poured so much money into doing their own fertility treatments without success. They are um, a, a gay couple who just don't have a uterus. They are people who have been saving, who are taking out loans, who are turning to surrogacy because it's their last option. And especially in the case uh, of hetero couples, it's often really difficult for the intended mothers to come to terms with surrogacy because the majority of women who are trying to get pregnant, they dreamed of carrying their own baby. And so it can be really difficult for them to watch someone experience the pregnancy, um, you know, and for some, uh, you know, like I, we tried to do things to, to keep my intended mother and, and father connected, you know, and we even got these little speakers that stick to the belly, they're called belly buds. And so, so that we could, I could play recordings of their voices and big brother and whatever lullabies. It's funny that you mentioned that because I think I've heard of, I, I think couple long distance couples have this, but they have like, they're connected through Wi-Fi where they're always kind of synced where I, I could imagine them having that for, obviously that's a little bit extreme, <laughs> but like anytime they wanted to talk to the baby, you'd have like a, a little armband with the little speakers on it. Yeah. And where, as long as you were connected to Wi-Fi, basically they could talk to the baby. Yeah, like, I, you know, the plan was kind of, uh, you know, whenever I'm on the couch watching TV, I just play recordings of their voice. And it's, you know, I, I don't hear it because it's. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going in the belly. Yeah, babies picking up on those voices. Um, something else, too, is uh, another misconception is people think that, you know, the parents can't bond with the baby. And I will ask you, you were not pregnant with your children. Did you bond with them? No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, people always have this big argument of like, well, how are they going to bond if like they didn't carry the pregnancy as though, you know, dads don't exist. They're, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, you know, and so um, like immediately, the majority of the time, majority oftentimes, immediately after the birth, baby goes straight to its parents for skin to skin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and my intended mother, she breastfed her last baby, and she was getting ready to start medication to induce. I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, that's a thing that can be done. And so so she breastfed for a long time, and that was a really big part of. Uh, it was kind of a you know a piece of motherhood that she didn't have to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it's not all rich elites. Um, I am not being exploited. I am not vulnerable. I have bodily autonomy and my doctor does not care if the intended parents want me to have a C-section or eat all organic or any other thing that is not medically necessary. I, I, th call I think you knocked them all out too. I think you did a great job <laughs> with that. Cause I was like, turkey, like I, turkey baster was in my head too. Obviously that's yeah. completely bullshit. Uh, and then <laughs> 
I, yeah, you you got them all. I can't even think of any more. Finally, what kind of message would you like to share with listeners about, I guess, it in general? Like it's it's so taboo. We still don't talk about it. And I can tell by the questions people ask that almost the only time that surrogacy comes up is when people see it on TV, movies, or, you know, the Kardashians. Yeah. Um, and none of that is realistic. And just for a funny, if anyone has watched Superstore, I don't know if you've seen it. I have. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember. I remember Glenn, Glenn and yeah. Jerusha. Jerusha. Oh, yeah. The the woman from uh, nine. Uh, Reno nine yeah 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 uh and so Dina carries their baby and it's it was just really funny because they actually showed the contract they actually showed kind of how the hospital like labor I remember book. one episode where they were arguing on the con- the fine detail of the contract too right yes okay and yes we, we, it's so taboo and I I would encourage people even if you don't um, you know, you're not pursuing surrogacy yourself, um, learn a little bit about it. Uh, it's something that, as I've said, a lot of intended mothers struggle with coming to that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're so thankful for their surrogates, they're still mourning a big part of it. And I, I speak to some intended mothers and the comments that they get, it's just, it, it's even more isolating and it just makes it so challenging surrogacy can be such a beautiful thing I you know our match has ended unfortunately without a baby but I, I still plan on pursuing surrogacy in the future yeah and that that's great like I I, I don't like even know if I would literally want to. bringing a life into the world you know because people are like like why would you do that and like you know it's not just a baby like in it's also going to be a teenager and an adult with its own life and I'm I'm making people parents. I'm giving grandparents a grandchild. I my intended parents brought me to their uh they had a family pool party. And so I got to meet everyone. And it was really cool to be like, oh my God, like you're gonna be an aunt and you're gonna be an uncle and you're gonna be a cousin. And it, you know, it, it didn't play out that way. But it was so eye-opening to see how many people it impacts. Yeah. I um, I didn't even think about it that way. But with a party, it's just like so many strings are attached to this one child and that you're not just changing the lives of the brothers or sisters or the mom or the dad, but you're changing like the next door neighbors, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents. They have an extra grandkid now. Man, I don't even think about that. And so the World Health Organization a few weeks ago came out and said that one in six people now struggle with infertility. A few years ago, it was one in eight. And, you know, a decade before that, it was even less. And so we're seeing a lot more infertility. Don't tell me that. Now I'm now people. I'm thinking Handmaiden's Tale. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But just to say that I think more people are going to need to turn to surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're, we're going to see a rise in the demand. And so if you've considered being a surrogate, like look into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, and this is part of why I think people should talk about it, because if you haven't met someone who's experienced surrogacy yet, odds are you will. It's mm-hmm. the community or, you know, industry, as some would say, has boomed. 
there is so many more intended parents. Thankfully, there are more surrogates, um, but it's growing hmm. at a very quick pace. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you watch Grey. Do you watch Grey's Anatomy at all? When I was pregnant with my son, seven months binge watching Grey's Anatomy and sobbing. Yeah, when I was pregnant, I spent months binge watching and just sobbing with all. It's of okay, them. especially when when Denny's El Fad, whatever they say, they always repeat. Um, what I was going to say is there's one episode and they do, and it's, it's a more, me and my wife watch it all the time. Uh, baby in a bag. Have you, have you seen that where they're trying now to grow babies? Like not chemically, but I guess it is chemically. Like they do the embryo outside and just kind of support it with vitamins and stuff like that. Have you seen that? I've not seen that. No. Grays? Yeah. And and you I know, know Grays. The real world. So. I mean, I mean, Grays is well, the thing is, like, they always pull from real life. However, it's yeah. like this one trial in Italy in like two thousand you know what I mean? Like they yeah. obviously it's a TV show. And yeah. they're just doing this for the the sheer like vault. I mean, every every season, what does she go through? Like she <laughs> This oh, woman has gone through hurricanes, like shootings, uh, two plane crashes, two boat crashes. <laughs> what was it? Uh, I think it one of the big episodes. She got a uh, what is it? A shell cartridge that she was carrying down a hallway. Oh you know, no! The one with the her... Friday Night Lights. Yeah, she she stuck her hand. Oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In someone's body yeah, yeah, yeah. and found that there was a live shell. Yeah, yeah. That so that's. She... I'm glad she got out. Oh, um, sorry. Back on track, though. Yep. Uh, we're going to go to our closing question. Okay. Uh, it's a two parter. What is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to your children? And what is something that you might want to do new or um, kind of leave out that your parents did? Oh, it's such a tough one. Um, I was really trying to like compare a parenting with my childhood with my sons. I, I did get to do a lot of cool, creative stuff as a kid. Um, like I always had these little experiences. My mom worked for a daycare where every year they got an incubator with eggs. And when they hatched on the weekends, they would come home with us. And so like I, I have memories of building all these mazes for the chicks and turns out they're really dumb. But I uh, things like that, I remember they're the highlights of my childhood. And it, it's really funny. I don't know if you saw my Instagram today. I love skunks. I it saw your plants. Oh, it's day. skunk day, right? National skunk day. Yeah. I love skunks. I have a tattoo of a skunk. Um, and last year, I ended up, we had an orphan skunk that we kept at home for a few days until we could drive it to a wildlife center. And and so my son got to, to kind of play with it because he was so little that he should have been with you know, a dozen siblings. And so yeah. he loved little and he loved little boops <laughs> on Aww. the head. And so I, I love how, like, we've always done stuff like that, where, you know, like we go and we catch snakes and those are, are all things that are tied back to my childhood as well. No, that's, that's great. Me and my son have this. And it's funny you mentioned that just because I try to think from his perspective when I was a child. And I'm like, what did I find amazing? What do I still find amazing? And like, for example, we pull up rocks right next to the house and we, he's like, daddy, worms, worms. So we just go under and we just look through worms. And I was like, it's like beetle, 
ants. And like he knows all the insects now just because we're like pulling over rocks. And I'm like, man, I used to love this, love to do this now. And now I love it to do it with him. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now the the flip side. Ah, the flip side. Um well, not, not necessarily, maybe some new stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, there's um growing up, it was particularly for my dad, and this is very much a generational thing, I think, but I would very often get the I told you so. No, not I told you so. Uh, because I said so. I would get told something and why? And he'd say, because I said so. And I don't have the words to describe. It's just the spark of rebellion that ignited every single time where I'm like, I don't care what the reason is. I don't care how much I suffer. We're both going to suffer now. Uh, I was very, very stubborn as a child. And uh, and so with my son, I always explain the reason why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and even if, you know, or when he was younger, there might have been some things where I couldn't necessarily explain it. And so, you know, instead I would say like, well, it's really complicated, but I, you know, there's some things that actually make me worry that this isn't safe. You know, and like, so he's like, yeah. okay, there's a reason like, okay, danger. Cool. Got yeah. It. They, they, you at least state what your emotion is rather than like a car blanche statement. Like, do you see this paper? This is your birth certificate. Who's to say parents, me, you listen to me. That that's yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that is definitely a generational thing. Cause very I, much nowadays, you know, like mental health is actually something that people worry about and yeah. treating your children as not just like animals but rather the same thing you are an adult and talking to them like they have feelings you have feelings and maybe you can work this out i'm sure that you know like for for my dad i i doubt he got uh because i said so when he was a kid you know so i think he was like all right i'm giving leave like i'm giving some space here yeah usually it was probably like a a a switch or a a swift hit in the face it was (laughs) not not an oral type uh warning or uh yeah. suggestion so i'm curious to see how our kids evolve that line yeah. of thinking <laughs> yeah it's going to be interesting to see how those type of kids turn out yeah hopefully they're they're strong enough because one thing about that generation is they're definitely hardworking, and i just hope those kids are hardworking and as diligent as that generation mm-hmm but yeah, that's that's the podcast, madam. Thanks for oh, is there anything you'd like to promote, obviously? Uh yes. So um there is a couple things. Uh so one thing is my intended mother. Uh she shared that when she was first exploring independent surrogacy, there were no resource, there was no guidance unless you were willing to fork out a huge fee up front for an agency. And so she has started a surrogacy consultation business. So she, you only pay for the services that you want. She does free consults and she's actually hoping to turn it into a nonprofit. And eventually she wants to branch out and also offer guidance for adoption and it's just people navigating infertility themselves. So it's a really cool concept. It would be like, you know, one of the first not for profit the things of its kind mm-hmm. and it's still for intended parents who want to go independently but might need help with certain aspects 
It's yeah, really and great. not breaking the bank, it sounds like. It sounds exactly. like. And I'll specify that this is for people pursuing surrogacy in Canada, but it's called um, info procreation. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's actually info procreation. Mm. Uh, she started in Quebec, but it translates to uh, info procreation. And uh, so if people search that, uh, she does free consults and she's a wealth of knowledge. And also there is almost no agencies that are run by intended parents. It's all run by surrogates. And so I think that's a really neat thing. Perspective. You know, exactly. Yeah. And so I would really encourage anyone to kind of just check out what she has to offer. If it's something that appeals to them. Mm-hmm. I host weekly surrogacy support calls and my friend Marissa, she hosts weekly intended parent calls. We well, she hosts it every two weeks. So my group is every week and it's free to join. There's no commitment. You show up when you need it or when it works for your schedule. And so um, I have a registration link in my Instagram account for, for both groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my Instagram account is called not the baby mama with two A's. So no spaces, all one word. Um, and I, I also just share general information on surrogacy and kind of answers to the general questions that people have and, uh, a lot more in depth of kind of what we chatted about. And then I share my own journey and I, I do kind of, you know, ask me any things. And so if anyone is interested in learning about it, maybe they find it interesting, maybe they are considering it, um, check me out. <laughs> I share a lot of other resources as well for, you know, where you can get connected with people and this and that. So, and I'll, I'll tag that on the, uh, the video or the audio when I put it up. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, thanks again for taking your time out. Yeah. This was really appreciate it. And and now I know so much more. (laughs) Yeah. I, I did learn a lot. I I'm actually impressed with I mean, obviously I'm, I'm clueless, but a lot of stuff that I didn't know that I didn't know, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, thanks a lot. And, yeah, uh, no problem. Yeah. Good night. Have a good one. If you like this week's episode of people more interesting than me, please follow me on Apple podcasts. So you won't miss out on more episodes like these.